Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by ftadvisor.com. Each week we're joined by a guest from the industry to discuss the week in news and some of the most pressing industry issues. I'm Ellie Duncan, Features Editor of FT Advisor and Financial Advisor. I'm joined by Tom Selby, Senior Analyst at AJ Bell, to discuss the Chancellor's Spring Statement. Now, the spring statement was always going to be something of a non-event. I think even spreadsheet Phil admitted it would be a fiscal non-event, so expectations were low. And coming on the back of the first of three Brexit votes this week, uh, in which MPs last night rejected Prime Minister Theresa May's deal, the kind of spectre of Brexit was looming large. Yep. Uh, but I think it's fair to say the Chancellor had his hands tied. I mean, what did you take from his spring statement today, Tom? Yeah, I hope people's expectations of this podcast aren't low, because I'm, I, I promise you we're going to dig some oh, interesting Oh, they're sky high, the expectations. Uh, no, it, 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 the, the Chancellor managed people's expectations and he managed them um, them them effectively. I think, you know, the, we we can't really complain. I think the, certainly the pensions industry has, for as long as I've been involved in pensions in various roles since 2009, has called for stability and has called for a stop to this constant chopping and changing. So if we've got a Chancellor who's moving to a spring statement that's just a fiscal announcement and doesn't have loads of different t- tweaks and tinkering and uncertainty, then then that's that was, I think that's probably a good thing i don't i think having two big two budgets a year was always a bit of a weird thing to do anyway internationally that isn't that isn't the case so it's just bringing us into line with with other countries but as you say it was a deeply political um spring statement it was all about brexit um what we say today may be totally out of date by tomorrow is always possible but the, and 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 that was actually the theme that was coming through in the in a lot of the forecasts as well so we had the forecast come through saying that um growth for this year down to 1.2% i think from 1.6% and then going on growth is going to be slightly higher 1.4% and then 3 years of 1. Um, 1.6% but the the level of a level of certainty that the the OBR has got in forecasting this stuff is well, pretty close to zero at the moment. It's having to assume that, um, in its words, we will leave the European Union on the 29th of March in an orderly fashion with a deal. Now, whether or not that's going to happen is definitely open to question, um, I I would say. And so they're having to forecast stuff five years in advance where, frankly, we don't really know what the economy is going to look like in five months. So that's why it was um, it was tricky. And I think what Philip Hammond was using this for above all else there were some little bits of announcements around climate change and um, a little bit around affordable housing and bits and pieces but the main purpose I think of this spring statement was to set up a world where we leave the EU on the 29th of March in an orderly fashion and a world where we leave without a deal in a disorderly fashion. So he's got this extra bit of fiscal headroom as a result of uh, tax receipts being higher and borrowing being lower. So he's uh, by next year, I think he'll have about £26 billion to play with. And the question is, well, the question that he was putting to, to Parliament and I guess to the country as well was, do you want that £26 billion to be spent on goodies. So to, as, as the next part of the next three-year spending review that he announced, do you want this to be spent on schools and defence and hospitals, NHS obviously a key theme as always, or do you want this emergency fund to be swallowed up by 
cushioning a a no deal Brexit, which he believes will be incredibly damaging and will cause lots of uncertainty, and which clearly is avoidable if we can get to a point of doing a deal. So that while in terms of announcements, I guess not a lot to say. In terms of the, I guess the 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 theatre and setting us up as well for a budget later in the year. Whoever we don't even know which chancellor will be delivering that, but setting up the financial position for later in the year. There was, I think, it was an, an interesting kind of staging post. And do you think there could be an emergency budget? I know some people have already speculated there might be one. It's, I know it's hard to say yeah, at yeah, the moment yeah. because when we're recording this, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. still a couple of Brexit votes to go. But could there be an emergency so in, budget? In the, event of a, in the event of no deal, presumably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a possibility, doesn't it? Um, I think the, clearly the, the, because this, didn't, this budget didn't announce um, any specific measures, if we go into a no deal scenario and if we... Uh, the economy goes anywhere near the worst cases um, of of the the official treasury predictions and other predictions. Then clearly, there's going to be a need for whoever the chancellor is at the time to look at how much money there is to spend and where that's going to going to come from. And you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I'm I'm kind of reticent to get into a to to start debating about the future of pension tax relief at this point in time. But it's that sort of stuff which I'm if if we did have an emergency budget and nobody can rule that out i think it's i'd say it's probably likely that we'd need to have something of that nature in the event of a shock of a no deal then um whoever the chancellor was would have to look at all their spending commitments all the things that they spend money on and potentially make some um quite difficult decisions in order to bridge any gap that's created as a result of a loss in a loss in growth and a loss in tax receipts so um while we're yeah well we're, we're you know we're trying you know we're kind of looking into the crystal ball and trying to work out what's going on it doesn't take a huge leap to get to the point where you've got a chancellor sat down having one of those stupid photos they get taken for twitter where they're doing their emergency budget and um looking through the various tax incentives that that exist for for advised clients and considering whether or not they should they should remain in place so huge, huge uncertainty now, usually in the lead up to a budget, mm. the pensions industry tends to want there to be as few announcements to do with pensions yeah. changes uh, as possible. Uh, but I mean, are there some announcements that you would have liked to have heard from the Chancellor in today's statement? So yeah. anything to do with social care, for example? Yeah. So I mean, so, social care, social care on a on a on a personal level, I, I the the way that um, successive governments have kicked the social care can down the road I think has been absolutely disgraceful um, I think most people in their lives in various ways will have been um, uh, touched by the you know older members of their family facing illness or or dying and relying on going into care homes and the costs of those care homes are are, are astronomical now we had a review back in 2010 2011 which was supposed to sort this we then I remember seeing um George Osborne going on Andrew Marr and sort of saying we're going to actually we're not only we're going to cap care costs but we're going to cap it at a stricter level and we're going to accelerate that and then when push comes to comes to shove the cost of the plan is deemed to be too much and they just throw it down their own say it's far far too difficult so um it would have I guess it I guess there was no reason why he couldn't have used this statement to launch the consultations on social care policy I suspect part of the reason that they wouldn't do that is because frankly we they don't know if no they're going to be here to to implement it, and given that so much government resource has been used in the process of Brexit, then sort of sidelining people to produce a social care paper when you might not be there to see it through, I guess, is probably not viewed as um, the the right use of 
of government re- government resources um at this time but it would have it would have certainly been good to see some certainty on that i mean we've i guess there's all sorts of long term issues that it would have been positive to see the government give people um uh some some certainty over the the issue of life expectancy, the fact that life expectancy improvements have ground to a halt. It would have been good to see the government announce that it was taking that seriously and perhaps reviewing the the reasons. I know the ONS is doing it, but some political push behind that would, um, I think, potentially be a, be a good thing. Um, and you know, if you look at automatic enrolment as well, clearly at some point we need to have a national discussion about how we move beyond the 8% point. Clearly, the government has said at some point in time it's going to um, include people who are age 18 in auto-enrollment and is going to... Uh and is and is is going to remove the earnings threshold to the first pound of pound earn gets an automatic enrollment contribution. We don't know when that's going to actually happen. I don't think that was included in the OBR's costings, interestingly, which is because the government hasn't specifically said when all this stuff is going to happen. So I think there's lots of areas like that. Pension scams is another one. So there's the, the widely reported, obviously, pension scams clamped down that took years to happen. They finally banned cold calling, but there's still other bits of legislation that aren't in place to uh, to make it easier for providers to block suspicious transfers and make it harder for um for scammers to set up these shell SaaS schemes that um that are, that are often used whereas like there's no proper employer link and they they just set up this scheme in order to facilitate the scam so that was all supposed to be a package of measures and we still haven't had those two prongs of that three pronged attack on scammers so I mean that's all this is all stuff that ideally you would already want to see in place and I and I guess it would have been would have been nice if the chancellor were able to give us some sort of update on the on the future of those things and what the what the specific policies were are going to be but the the reality of the current situation is that this is a this is a myopic government it's got one issue and one issue only if we go into a general election or however we go it's the only real issue in town at the moment is whether we leave the European Union and how we how we go through that process. It is quite a concern, isn't mm. it, for the pensions industry that so many of these issues aren't being talked about. Yeah. Um, they seem to have ground to a halt. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so much you can do, obviously, as a kind of collective, as an industry. Mm. But if you had to pick sort of one issue that the government Ooh. could really yeah. um, kind of focus on, um this year if they if they can and, and push mm. onward a little bit more with what would you say that should be so I, so i i i believe the if in terms of big social policy things the big the thing that impacts on the most people and potentially has the widest impact on um on society and on the on the industry and on individuals um i would say it's the the shifts in um the, the change in life expectancy improvements that I mentioned earlier. So that we've seen from various different places now. So from the Continuous Mortality Institute, so that's part of the Institute of Faculty of Actuaries. Um, recently, we've seen from the ONS, we saw from uh, Professor Marmot, a respected um, a respected professor in, in, in this field. All of them have come to the conclusion that life expectancy improvements are grinding to a halt. That's after decades and decades of um, almost constant improvements in life expectancy and what we don't know is why so there are all sorts of theories so there are theories that perhaps it's a result of austerity clearly if, particularly if you're a left-leaning person then that's a theory that you might um, jump on and by the way I suspect this is something that the Labour Party will jump on in the next election while it will be mainly an election if it happens as a result of the current impasse we're in then it will mainly be about Brexit but I think going for older voters will be a core part of the Labour strategy and 
uh, a situation where essentially more people are dying under a conservative Lib Dem and now conservative government than were dying before is clearly going to be pretty irresistible, I think, to any um, any opposition party. But So austerity is one of the potential reasons, but there's all sorts of other things. It could be to do with obesity. It could be to do with drug use. There's all... And, and you, you, it is so, so... To my mind, it is so much more important than whether or not we're a member of the European union and we've we've had two this two and a half what what i think it's, it's it's quite tragic really we've had two and a half years of navel gazing and talking to ourselves about something which i think surveys in that sort of survey from back in 2013 or 20 2012 um stating what other they went ask people what are the things that you see as being the most important european union membership by about two percent most people aren't actually it would be if you if you hand on heart most people aren't that bothered about the EU. They're much more bothered about the NHS, and I think they'd be much more bothered about more people dying. So I, I, I that's a long-winded way of saying I think that is the that is one of the many things that they should be focusing on at the moment, and they aren't. Okay, yeah, I think um, I think that's that does seem like a fairly urgent issue. Mm. Um, and then, is there any indication, just sort of fairly briefly, um, yeah. what uh, a Labour government would do? for the kind of pensions industry mm. what would they i mean you've already mentioned that you think they'd probably um jump on this kind of this is the impact that austerity is having yeah, on life yeah. expectancy do you think they'd be any quicker to try and push through anything on social care for example or auto enrollment uh, so i i i, I so there'd have to be a, a little bit of guesswork going on there but there's certainly um they on so on the state pension they've um, said they'll they won't increase beyond 66 and they'll review the life expectancy data so you would expect them to to do that um given that it's quite a left-leaning uh labor party at the moment and uh and auto enrollment was a policy born to labor you would expect them to put a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis on ensuring that policy works and potentially on even increasing contributions although then you've got to um you've got to think about the impact that will have on the wider economy. If you're forcing people to stash more of their pay today into a pension, then they've got less money to spend. So that'll be something that they'll have to uh, have to navigate. Um, social care, I think they've, they've been pretty clear that they're going to go big on social care as part of their wider public spending plan. So I, I suspect we'd hear more from them on that. Um, I suppose for for advisors, one of the, the two big things to look out for would be the Labour's approach to pension tax relief. Um, so clearly at the moment, the way that the pension tax relief system works, most of the money goes to people who are earning more because they get it at a marginal rate. Um, and you could, you, I would be surprised if Chancellor John McDonnell, if he ever gets into that position, would be, um, would be happy with a scenario where we're in that position. Now, how he would look to rectify it, I don't know. That's, you could you could see how a flat rate of pension tax relief would have appeal to a Labour party. So if, if they could come up with a way of doing it, then uh, richer people getting less and poorer people getting more. You could imagine that being, a, being appealing to them. Um, I think it'll, it'll also be interesting to see, if we get to this point, what Labour would do with the pension freedoms. Because... That is a very clearly, you know, conservative slash liberal, but it's a, it's a very conservative policy. The idea of trusting people with their own money and um, and and giving them total freedom and choice of how to spend it, and also freedom and choice to make mistakes. It's not a labor. Labor instinctively is a, a paternalistic. 
party and might not be quite as comfortable with those reforms as um, as the Conservatives and uh, and the Liberal Democrats were. So the the I guess the 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 thing that Labour would have to think about there is the fact that these freedoms have been incredibly popular. Um, there hasn't been while there are, while there is some evidence at the edges of people making terrible decisions. Generally, people are spending their money reasonably sensibly and I think if they were going to go forward and look to restrict the freedoms in one way or another then they'd have to make sure a that that wasn't going to massively damage their public support um and b that they that they were that there was evidence that what they were going to do wasn't going to reduce the number of people that have saved because one of the well I think most people including myself frankly when the pension freedoms were announced most people were a bit on the fence as to whether this was a good thing. Some people, it's definitely going to be bad. Some people, it's definitely going to be really good. The fact that I can get at that money in just over 20 years' time, and, I, and I'll, 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 you would expect I will, I will use my pension sensibly, but the fact that it's so it's there and it's easily more easily easy to, easy to access, I get that that means I'm, I think I'm more likely to save in a pension as a result, and I think lots of people will be more likely to save because it feels more tangible than perhaps it perhaps it used to so i think i think that's one of the big positives of the pension freedoms and if if it was on the labor agenda to rein those in or or introduce controls and things like that then i think the that's something that would need to be factored into anything that they were doing so it'll be interesting yeah. to see if if in sort of 10 20 years time our attitude to pensions is any different because of the pension freedoms i suppose you know yeah i'll have spent it all yeah, exactly. immediately. Yeah, absolutely. That Lamborghini is, is top of the list, quite frankly. Oh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be struggling to get a mini metro yeah. at the moment. <laughs> Thanks very much, Tom, for joining us today. Thank you. And do join us at the same time next week for another FT Advisor podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 